Our scripture this morning is found in Hosea chapter 4. Hosea 4, and we will be reading verses 1 through 6. I know it says 7 in the bulletin and on the screen, but I made a mistake. Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. You know, I know Scott Nicewonger. I know him. If he walked into the door, I'd say, well, hello, Mr. Nicewonger. I recognize him on sight. I've flown on his airplane. Okay? I've sat at the same table with him. But do I have the kind of relationship with Mr. Nicewonger that I could go, uh, Scott, i got to be in California tomorrow morning. Could I borrow your plane? I don't. Who are you again? <laughs> Who are you again? You know? I don't have that kind of relationship with him. So I, I know him. I know him, but I don't really know him. Okay? I don't really know him. God wants us to really, really know him. To know him with all of our being and with all of our heart. Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And in honor of the reading of God's word, let's stand. Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. Because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. There's swearing, deception, murder, stealing, and adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns. And everyone who lives in it languishes, along with the beast of the field and the birds of the sky, and also the fish of the sea disappear. Yet let no one find fault, and let none offer reproof. For your people are like those who contend with the priest. So you will stumble by day, and the prophet also will stumble with you by night." And I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst this morning. And God, as you illumined the heart and mind of Hosea when you gave to him this perfect and infallible word, we pray that you would illumine our hearts and minds this morning as well, and that no one would walk out of this room this morning without an intimate knowledge of you. Father God, we love you so much, and we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer. In and through the name of our risen Lord and Master, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When you read the Bible, okay, let me ask you a question. Would you read Dan Brown? Everybody on board know who Dan Brown is? Da Vinci Code? Okay. Would you read Dan Brown the way that you would read Gibbons, The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire? Would you read those two books the same way? Okay. Would you read a book 
on Jewish numerology the same way you read a math textbook. Pretty clear, I've never read a math textbook. Or if I had, it didn't sink in. You know, it didn't make any sense to me. You, you, you read those books differently. You approach them differently, okay? You know that Dan Brown is fiction, okay? Almost science fiction. But you know that that's fiction, and so you wouldn't approach Dan Brown's book the same way that you would approach a book on history, a book of history. And so you prepare yourself. Would you read the Knoxville News Sentinel the same way you would read the National Enquirer? Please tell me the answer to that is no. Okay? That you know that one is just a bunch of hooey and the other one's a little bit less hooey. Okay? The point that I'm making is that when you read the Bible, okay, here's the mistake an awful lot of people make when they read the Bible. They will read the text and they will go, what does that mean to me today? Wrong first question. Absolutely wrong first question. The right first question is what is the problem that God is addressing in this text? Okay? What was the problem to the original hearers or readers of this book that God is addressing in this text. Okay? That sets the context for what you're reading. Then the question becomes, is where is the grace? How did God show grace to that particular group of people? Okay? Now, once you've established that, now we can begin asking those questions of how does that apply in 2022? How is God going to bring that about in my life and in the fellowship that I'm a part of? The scene in our text this morning is very similar to what we saw in the opening verses of, of chapter 2. In fact, we're using the exact same word uh, in, in, in verse 2 that we used... <coughs> excuse me. No, I'm sorry. Uh, in verse 1 that we saw in, in, in chapter 2. And that is that word, the Lord has a case against the inhabitants. God is calling them back into court. Okay? It is a court case. They have broken the covenant. We're going to see that in, in a little bit when we get down, <clears throat> excuse me, to verse 2. Because here God is specifically listening. He says, I have a case, and here are the charges. The prosecuting attorney says, I have enough evidence to go to court. Okay? And so he's saying, I've, had a, I've got a case, and here are the specific charges that are going to be brought against this group of people. Now, here's the deal. This is not a momentary lapse. Okay? It's not that, that the person, again, will see more of it when we get to, to verse 2. This is not just a, a momentary swearing that, that they, they swore an oath that they shouldn't have. This is the way they do business. This is the way that they live their life. Okay? 
It's an ongoing thing. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. And so God is saying, you're not going to stop. The verb in this verse is a participle. And that's how I can make that assertion. It's not a one-off. It's not that they have sworn once. It's not that they've lied once. It's not that they've committed adultery once. It's not that they've murdered once. It is the pattern of their life. And in fact, God is going to show that it's such a pattern that they employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Literally, blood touches blood. So we're not dealing in this, okay? Let's make it specific. Gomer didn't just whore herself once. It was an ongoing pattern. And we just saw last week that Hosea went to get her back. That he went to take her out of that situation. Because if he didn't take her out of that situation, she was going to continue in her adulterous ways. And so God is bringing this case against them. Because they have a willful, they've made a willful choice. Okay? Okay, I'll go there. What does the sign say on McDonald Road? Black letters on a white sign, that's a law. Okay? Just, you know, wouldn't you love to go and tell the truckers, you know, the ones that ignore the, the sign that says no trucks left lane? Okay? Going uphill? Doesn't that bless your heart? Mm. Anyway. The sign says 35. My average speed on Stevens Strait is around 56 to 60. Okay? That's average. If I'm in a real hurry, I might hit 70. Okay? <laughs> so, could I plead ignorance? Well, no, we've got it on tape, right? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. I can't plead ignorance, Okay? My choice to go that speed on McDonald Road is exactly that. It is a choice. It is a willful choice to break the law of man. And that's what God is charging them with. As we begin, we need to understand that there is a difference between knowing and acknowledging. Didn't I just point that out to you? I know what the speed limit on McDonald Road is. I just choose not to acknowledge it most of the time. Okay? And we must have a deputy that's working the night shift because there's a, several mornings I come up over a hill and right there he is on his way home and I'm going, dude! <laughs> there is a difference between knowing and acknowledging. Okay? A lot of people know God. And, and, and let me tell you something. I've told you in the past that, that, that I read a lot from atheists, and I, and I saw this thing 
uh, on a forum a, a couple of days ago where what I presume to be a believer said, would atheists just leave me the blank alone? Okay, wait. Number one, I seriously doubt the atheist came to your webpage and started this mess. So you're the one that began all of this, and then you choose to use profanity in your reply to them, and you chose to be just about as unchristian as you possibly could in the way that you responded to this individual. What are the odds that, that you're going to get through that atheist part? Okay. And, and what have you just done? You've confirmed that the God that they're rejecting is the same God that you worship. I didn't say it was the God of the Bible. Ooh, did I just go there? I did. See, an awful lot of Christians worship the same God that the atheists reject. The problem is the atheists are not rejecting the God of the Bible. They're rejecting a God that they've made up based on some things that they've read in the Bible. Okay? They've read things out of context. And they've strung a bunch of stuff together. And they say, I don't like that God. And so when I'm talking with an atheist, that's always the beginning point of my conversation with him. Tell me about this God that you reject. And they'll list all of this stuff and I'll go, whew, we got a lot in common. And they'll look at me and I'll go, well, I, I reject that God too. I don't believe in that God. I don't worship that God. There's a difference between knowing and acknowledging. In Romans 1, Paul is confronting the same callousness and coldness that the people of Hosea's day. Listen and see if this doesn't sound like the same thing Hosea is saying. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Wait a minute. If I'm going to suppress the truth, what does that require? It requires that I know the truth. And I'm just choosing to suppress it. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. That's what we're talking This is what we talk about is natural theology, is what Paul is laying out here. Okay? Everybody, almost everybody on the planet, would agree that it is not right for me to kill someone. Almost everybody on the planet would agree that it's not right for me to walk down here and say, oh, there's a bunch of cash. I'm just going to take that and put it in my pocket. Everybody, almost everybody on earth would agree on that. Well, where did that come from? Evolution cannot provide that kind of moral. I don't care what Richard Dawkins says. I don't care what any of the evolutionary philosophers say. Evolution cannot produce morals. Okay? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Any of y'all know how Darwin got his start? He went to divinity school. That's what his degree is in. 
He graduated from seminary and then decided he was going to take a trip and that he wanted to be able to show that the, the natural world made sense without any reference to God. Wait, did he go to Harvard? Or Yale? Or Princeton? Or Duke? He began with the thesis, I will be able to prove that everything in the natural world came to exist and there is no need to reference God to explain any of it. Well, Mr. Darwin, you might want to go back and look at Romans 1.20. For even though they knew God, he had a seminary degree, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, have you ever noticed how those that are engaged, the atheists and the agnostics and all of those that that want us to turn our backs on God think that they're just so smart, that we're so ignorant and backwards and they're so smart and so hip, and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, let me stop and go back to that. How many of y'all would think it was pretty weird if I walked around and continually talked to a picture of Angie? Okay. Got that picture out on my phone and said, oh, I love you so much, sweetiekins. And she's standing right there. Okay? That's what Paul is saying. God's standing right there. And and you're putting your intention in something else. All right. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts. Y'all remember Moses and Pharaoh? Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Nine times God sent his man to declare his glory to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh chose to worship the created instead of the creator until finally God gave him over to the lust of his hearts so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Do you not see the problems in our text this morning? Do you not see I could go a number of ways with this text? I could preach a sermon from this text on, on, on creation care. Right? How we've absolutely destroyed the earth. I mean, we're in danger, okay? As a planet, we are in danger. God addresses that in Hosea chapter 4. We just don't want to listen to it. This isn't a sermon on on ecology, but I just want you to see there's a number of angles that I could approach in this text. The solution to our problem, beloved, is to know God. Verse 1. In chapters 1 through 3, God has been talking uh, in in kind of a metaphor. 
an allegory. Okay, he's been talking in illustrations. He's been, been saying to the people, you know, here's this picture of how things are going. In verse 1, he says, all right, the picture is done. Now we're going to talk in specifics. And he says, I've got a case against you. And here's the case that I have against you. See, when people forsake the knowledge of God, truth and mercy are gone. Truth must be rooted in something other than personal opinion. Now, I get it. During the 1800s, a lot of our Southern Baptist forefathers believed that they could use Scripture to defend the enslaving of a human being. We were born as a denomination out of sin, out of that sin. Okay? We formed because we believed that slaveholders could be appointed as missionaries, whereas our northern brothers and sisters did not believe that they could be appointed as missionaries. What was it that it allowed the enslavement of other people? It was personal opinion. It was personal opinion. It was because truth was not grounded in something objective. We hear today, well, that could be your truth. Well, if it's not a universal truth, then it's not true. Okay? If Jesus is just my truth, then he's not the Savior of the world. He can't just be my Savior and nobody else's. Either what the Bible says about Jesus is objectively true or it's not true at all. And so God is saying that the way that you're living your lives is about your personal opinion. We live in a world that wants to define truth in its own terms. Anybody in here in any doubt about my biological gender? Okay? I am a male of the species. Now, I could stand up in here and say, I want you all to call me Larissa from this point on. Okay? And that doesn't change anything. I could say in my mind and in my heart, I am Larissa. But the objective truth is, I'm still Larry. No matter what I believe. No matter what I say. And so, God says in Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Boy, we could preach a sermon right there, couldn't we? The fear of the Lord. Now, we're not just talking about the dread of the Lord. But listen, there had to come a point in all of our lives when we recognized this God is not a God to be trifled with. This God is the Creator God. He owns the universe. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And if I don't deal rightly with this God, I'm going to find myself in hell and I don't want that. That is the beginning of wisdom. And then once you begin there, then you begin coming into what God wants us to come into, knowledge of the Holy One. What do we say in an invitation? Would you acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? 
Will you come to a knowledge of Jesus? You know? A lot of times I'll ask people the question, how's your walk going? How's your walk going? Because, see, we're supposed to be walking with Jesus. We don't get saved just to stand still. We don't sing, stand still, Christian warriors, standing right here now. We sing, onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. We have to be walking with Him. Verse 2. Hosea paints a picture of the world, of his world, and sadly of ours as well. Do you understand what he's doing here? You might recognize verse 2, where it might come from. Oh, like Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. He's saying, guys, y'all are at six. I've already talked to you about your idolatry. That's seven, okay? You're breaking the covenant. You're not living the way that God said for you to live. You're not restraining yourself. Our world is completely against the notion of restraint. I'm involved in a situation at work where an individual has requested information on one of the tools that we use to keep students safe. They want to know what we're looking for and how we've done things. And I can tell you exactly what this individual is looking for. How have we dealt with homosexuality? That's what they want to know. Okay? And I would want to look at, at the person and say, you know, just be honest with me. Just be honest. Tell me specifically what you're looking for. Don't waste my time on a horse and pony show, tell me what it is you're looking for. And it will save both of us a lot of time and a lot of effort. The message from our world is make your own rules. If you were born female and want to be a male, go for it. If you were born female and you want to be a male, go for it. If you want to have a relationship with a person of the same biological sex, go for it. That's what the world says. The world says we don't care. That's apathy, beloved. How many of y'all want your lives to be guided by apathy? How many of you want your life motto to be, meh? I mean, it makes a great meme on the Internet. But it's not the, the guiding word for your life. One commentator said this, uh, Satan sings sweetly to us, making us think or hope that casting God away is a doorway to freedom, but it is only a path to destruction. Verse 3. The verbs here, are, are again, are imperfect. And it says that all of creation is impacted by our disobedience. And it means to lament or to wail. To lament or wail. And everyone who lives in it languishes. That means it becomes feeble or weak. 
And it is an intense passive. It means that we are imposing this upon creation. Verses 4 and 5. We'll have more to say on on the outcome of this, and that's why I stopped at verse 6. Because I'll give you a preview. Well, I better not or you won't come if when, when you see that I'm preaching that text. The point that I want to make here is that in verses 4 and 5, God had said specifically to the people back in Deuteronomy, the priests are supposed to manage the worship of God. Okay? They're supposed to take care of all of the stuff. And, and God has laid out very specifically how He is to be worshipped. And can I tell you a secret? It has nothing to do with our felt needs. Okay? It has to do with the proper worship of God. All right, I need to, I need to shuck some corn. So what they're saying, you know, anybody that's been a pastor for any period of time at all, has had someone come to them and ask for spiritual advice. And then they either argued with me or or they ignored what I told them. Why in the world did you come and ask me? Okay? I'm not being mean, but if you're going to argue with me, look, I'm not a counselor. I'll tell you that when you come to me. I'll tell you I'm not a counselor. I've had one class in counseling. And that one class taught me enough to teach me I'm not a counselor. Okay? And so I will refer you to someone that knows what they're doing. I'll tell you right up front, I'm a theologian. I can tell you what the Bible says. And we will look at what the Bible says about this. But what he's saying is that they're going out and and, and they're just fighting with the priest. The priests are saying, you know, this is what God says. And yet, they're not doing it. So you'll stumble by day. You know, when Angie and I first got married, we bought this this, uh, really pretty... Marble top coffee table. Okay? That bad boy is heavy. All right? And so we had it in our den in the house we lived at in Newport. And one day we did some rearranging. Y'all know where this is going, don't you? We did some rearranging of the furniture. And I got up late at night to go get something to drink out of the refrigerator. How many of y'all turn the lights on when you go into the refrigerator? Because you know where the refrigerator is, right? And so I'm just walking through there, and I hit that thing at full stride. Okay? I spoke in tongues. Mercy, that hurt. See, there's a reason for me to hit that thing in the dark. But if I did it in the day, that's a whole other issue, right? And that's what Hosea is saying. There might have been a reason if you were walking in the dark, but you're hitting this thing in the day. All right. When we know who God is, who He really is, it affects our conduct. I'll give you an example and then we'll close. A few months ago, I, I ran across one of my former pilots, okay, on Facebook. And I began communicating with him. The last time that I knew him, he was a captain. Now, that's still 
you know, Marines kind of give some props to captains. Okay, and so we began speaking. He never pointed this out to me. I started doing a little bit of Googling. The man guy of the Marine Corps is a lieutenant colonel. Okay, and I was still referring to him as captain. He never corrected me. Okay. But when I came to understand who he really was, I treated him differently. Because in the Marine Corps, you better believe you treat a lieutenant colonel different than you treat a captain. Okay? And so, we need to understand that when we know who God really is, it will affect our conduct. Beloved, we have people perishing every day who don't know Jesus. We have people around us that don't know Jesus. They know so much, but they don't know what matters. And we can stop that. How can we show people the kindness of the Lord if we don't know Him? When people are hurting, how can we really help them if we don't know God? 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, using Hosea's own words, tells us what we need to do. You are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that, beloved, comes from knowing who God is. Knowing God and acknowledging Him. Will we know Him and acknowledge Him in our own lives?